You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby here with you today on On the Line. Tag team duo here. Zach, how you doing today, my man? This is a little bit of a throwback. I've been on as a guest. I haven't really been on as kind of a, a pseudo co-host role. This is old school, brother. This That's is right. the lunch break circa what year was that? 20... 2017. 17. There we go. So, yeah, man, I'm excited to, uh, to be on for more than just a segment today. Yeah, people didn't catch up with us yesterday. Programming note, Levi had a car wreck last week, and he's still... Going through a bit of a recovery, but, but we've he is got some good better. news, yes, right? That's yeah. right. He is good. getting better and he will be back with us soon. No timetable on that yet, but he will be back with us soon. And then Lance is out of the office today as well. So that's how we've got the tag team duo back, the lunch break back in the house. What I hear is I'm like seventh string on your roster, but that's okay. That's, not that's true. fine. My that's feelings not aren't true. hurt at all. Johnny Manziel was a third stringer before he became a Heisman candidate. That's all I've got to oh, say. Oh, stop it. Baker Mayfield was a walk on. Just saying. Stop it. What about JJ Watt? Also a walk-on, just saying. So we got a good show for you guys today here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're going to open it up with some SEC news, but we will translate it to Auburn here because we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Tyke Smith, the West Virginia transfer from the safety position, is headed to Georgia to replenish one of like six guys that left the Georgia defensive backfield. They lost like six starters back there, whether it's to the NFL draft or whether it's to transfer. They have lost pretty much their entire defensive backfield, and Tyke Smith goes to bolster that. But we saw him linked to Auburn before he ended up going to the rival across the border. This week, we are doing our 8A depth chart series tomorrow with the cornerback position. Tyke Smith, maybe not a cornerback, but before we get to Auburn's cornerback position your thoughts on the Georgia defensive backfield adding Tyke Smith at a position that they very much very much so need help yeah and it's weird when you look at the recruiting resumes for both Auburn and for Georgia it's a little odd to say this but Georgia probably needed him more than Auburn did and we talked about this when I was on the show last week about how it's uh it's kind of crazy that these top DBs both from West Virginia, interestingly enough, but you know, obviously Drayshawn Miller. It's like why why is Auburn a target for for guys like that? Because if I'm them, I want an easy path to playing time at a contender. And so I think Auburn is kind of in that top tier where, you know, people would want to play there, but it's not an easy path to playing time because I don't like I still don't know where Miller fits in to all of this. I Every think time gonna... I ask somebody this question, they always have to to you know pull strings of yarn across the across the thumbtack board trying to move guys around to make it work and or, it, or maybe it just doesn't work or they just kick out Jalen Simpson and I'm like that is so unfair to Jalen Simpson I or mean Ladarius Tennyson yeah and moving to safety sure and like I don't think that's happening and it's like Nehemiah Pritchett you got to keep him on the field from an analytics standpoint he was fantastic last year and of course Roger McCreary is untouchable but 
I think people forget that Jalen Simpson won the job last year. He came out of nowhere. And I I think that's something that a lot of people forget because he got hurt against Kentucky, started against Kentucky as this redshirt freshman, and people were like, oh, when the first depth chart came out, they're like, dang, didn't even talk about him all summer. We whiffed on that, and I'll raise my hand very proudly for that. Um, I was very high on Nehemiah Pritchett going into last season because, you know, his time behind knowing Benogany, you know, the previous seasons, but yeah, I mean, props to Jalen Simpson. He was very good when he played. It was just a little limited because of uh, because of injuries. But, I mean, this, this Auburn defensive backfield is stacked, absolutely loaded. And so the interesting thing about all of this is with the exception of McCreary, which is a tad ironic because I think he's the best guy, they're all very versatile. I could see Jalen Simpson playing a lot in the middle of the field. Nehemiah Pritchett, we were seeing him as that. Some people are calling it nickel. Some people are calling it that slot corner position. And I think the coaching staff is actually calling it slot corner. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, it's, so it's it's interesting to see that because in the past it's been more of a safety mold when in the NFL you see more of a corner mold there, which the league is passing more. So do you want corners covering slot receivers and tight ends and guys like that that are out there? Personally, I, I prefer that. Personally. Could Christian Tut cover? No. No. No, I'd and much guess what Auburn Auburn definitely did not benefit from that. Uh, correct, correct. And so, um, but then like he would go down and Tennessee would come in. I'm like, all right, here we go. The Tennessee struggled there too. So like, was that an experience thing? Was that what was being asked of that position? I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But but uh, all in all, I mean, just my thoughts on 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 the defensive backfield for the Tigers. I absolutely love it, and I even love the depth of the safety position. Because mainly with the three guy right now, it appears Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson are the favorites to start at safety. But then Chris Thompson Jr. is a guy that I keep hearing really, really good things about. In fact, I thought if you know they were going to keep Tennyson at that inside corner slash nickel position, that uh, that Chris Thompson Jr. had a chance to be a starter as a redshirt freshman slash true freshman, whatever you want to call it with these weird COVID eligibility stuff. So yeah, I mean, they're stacked. And this Auburn defensive backfield, we're splitting it up for our A-Day depth chart series. We're going to do cornerbacks tomorrow, and then we will do safeties next week. Do you have starters, since you won't be on with us tomorrow, do you have starters across the board for that cornerback position? Yeah, I mean, Roger McCreary, and then I think the other side. Right now, based on what we've seen, you have to go with Jalen Simpson because I think they're comfortable with Nehemiah Pritchett in the middle of the field. I think that's kind of where we're at with all that. So does that mean Tennyson's going to end up at safety? I think so. I think he's starting at, you know, uh, and he, he's at probably going to be the guy that's... strong safety. I think I, that's strong safety because Smoke was at free safety yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, I like him more at strong safety because free safety is kind of your your last line of defense, you know, in that deep thirds. I kind of want Smoke Monday back there, the experience. Because the big thing with Tennyson, and we saw it in his limited playing time in the middle of the field last year, which from a footwork standpoint, it's not a whole lot different when you're lining up off ball in the middle of the field, you know, at a nickel slash inside corner versus a safety. Like your footwork's not that much different. Your perspective is different. Your roles are a little bit different, but your footwork and your first step and all that is pretty similar. And that's where he struggled. It was his his first few steps as far as play recognition and just being comfortable away from the line of scrimmage. You put all these guys closer to the line of scrimmage, they were a lot more comfortable. But you can't do that as a safety, obviously. So that's going to be interesting to see because when they recruited this guy, they're like, okay, he's really athletic. 
He can be all over the field. He can cover all kinds of grass. We just got to find a role for him. And so last year it was as a nickel, and then this year I think it's as a safety, a starting safety. Who's your fourth cornerback? It's more often times now. I guess it has to be not. Miller. Is it Drayshawn Miller? I, I would assume so. I think you bring him in because maybe you don't like what's down the depth chart. We haven't seen too much of Domeo up to this point, and we definitely haven't seen any of the other names because nobody ever talks about him, and I'm having a hard time recalling some of the other names at cornerback. I, I guess Drayshawn Miller is the guy. I mean, we've heard so many good things about Marco Domeo, and he got reps as a starter last year and you know we talked with you know Derek Mason a few years ago and he's licking his chops at the linebackers but also he's like yeah I've got corners six starting corners in my cornerback room you know not many defensive coordinators throughout the country can say stuff like that and they're solid it's not like they started out of you know it was the only option I mean Domeo in the bowl game maybe maybe but all in all, like it's still, I mean, absolutely stacked. A lot of teams wanted Marco Domeo coming out of the, the junior college ranks. So I just, you've got to think with the amount of schools that wanted Miller from West Virginia, that something was maybe not promised, but hey, you are definitely going to get the chance to start. You just got to ha- like, and you're going to play. He's going to get on the field. Yeah. You got to believe that, right? Like you don't come here if, you, if you're not. In his situation, surely. But I just don't know who he knocks out. I guess if I had to pick, like I think Nehemiah Pritchett is better than Jalen Simpson. Like if I had to pick it. I know I just went on this rant on that people forgot about Jalen Simpson and all that. But um, it's weird when corners wear numbers in the 30s. Like that's awkward. Just quit doing that. So like I think that's an automatic knock that's against Jalen Simpson. Number. Or maybe a running back. Maybe. A fullback. That's a fullback and a kicker number. Yeah. Yeah, like a fullback with like uh, one of those neck pads. You know what I mean? Yes, I that's what that is very accurate. Which we don't see enough of those today. Anybody wearing a neck pad out there? If you're a linebacker wearing a neck pad, you instantly become one of my favorite players in football. I'm trying to think of uh, solid Auburn players recently in the 30s. I'm gonna put you on the spot Camp here. Camp Petway, 2036. Am I making that up? I can't remember. Okay. Sorry, I can't remember. No, it's fine. You can't remember either. <laughs> no, I'm not mad about it. I just I, I don't remember. I'm going to put you on the spot here because yeah. you like to do this when we go to lunch. Name your favorite number 34 in football. Currently, that's fair. I just said 34, and that's Bo Jackson. We'll get a little bit. We'll get a tougher number than that. 36. Currently, sure or was ever Cam, was Cam Petway 36. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go back and look. I'm going to look this up now. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Like For some reason, the only 30 that's popping into my head right now is 33 for the New England Patriots. That's Juwan Williams, the corner out of Vandy. That's the old, I've got like a major block Petway right now. Petway did wear 36. Okay, the Camp Petway is my answer. There you go. There you go. I don't know why I remembered that. <laughs> we'll, we'll be eating at lunch, and somebody will put a number down for our table, and it could be like 47. You'll be like, name your favorite 47. I'll be like... We never get a good number. Like we never get twelve. We never get eighty-one. Like we, we always get like the a, day we get twelve at a table will be a long conversation because you think about all the twelves that yeah. have came through football. Of course, yours is Tom Brady. There's no doubt. But, but there's I've, still a conversation to be had. Eighteen is a great number. Eighty-one, eighty-seven. I mean, yeah, yeah. But we always get terrible numbers, like, like forty-seven, uh, forty-seven, or <laughs> I guess uh, thirty-six. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and things like that. Fifty-two. Yeah, and it's like, gosh, we got to pick like a guard, you know, or something like that for fifty. So, yeah, yeah, wild stuff.
That's Wild excellent. Stuff. That's excellent. People are listening to this wanting Levi back. I can just tell. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side of this break, we will talk some NFL draft stuff. What does that mean for Auburn? As we are, we, you know, it's draft month. You know, believe it or not, we're only like three weeks away from the NFL draft which begins on April 29th going through May 1st so we'll talk a little bit about what some Auburn guys are going through and their pre-draft workouts and getting ready for the draft and then we'll also talk about some of the other things that have happened to the NFL this week namely Sam Darnold to the Panthers how does that change the draft landscape spicy teams that we thought were going to take quarterback probably not taking or probably not taking quarterback at least the panthers aren't i mean the panthers are on that list the, now the jets definitely are <laughs> yes. at, at two <laughs> there were talks about them possibly trading back but uh but yeah yeah lots to talk about we'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break you're listening on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Zach Blackaby here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up at 2.30, we're going to have Britt Bowen, Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer with us. So stay tuned for that conversation. We get all of his thoughts on new women's basketball head coach Johnny Harris. Looking forward to that conversation with Britt. We pre-recorded earlier in the day, and he's got a lot of great insights. Everybody's going to really enjoy that conversation with Britt. But Zach... Now it's time for some draft talk. Before we get into draft, you know I love talking about the draft. Now, you asked you asked me my starting uh, corners. It sounds like we're pretty close, but I, I was just kind of curious your thoughts. Yeah, so in our previous segment, Zach and I discussed the cornerback position. We're going to be doing our A-Day depth chart series tomorrow, so I'm going to give an inside look at my starters here for the cornerback position. Roger McCreary is untouchable. The guy is the number one cornerback he's cb1 here on the on the roster so i think without a doubt roger mccreary untouchable let, let me ask you this about roger mccreary since i think our order is gonna be pretty similar to spice it up a little bit do you want to see roger mccreary lock down one side of the field or do you want to see him follow specific guys Ooh, i haven't thought about this Derek mason loves switching things up he's done both whether it was at vanderbilt or stanford do you think um, do you think he follows the you know the the, the best the, receiver? Yeah, or does he always go? Would you oh, prefer man. him to always go to the field side versus the boundary? I mean, what are your thoughts? I would like to see him follow. I think I would too. I think I would too. If if they run a lot of man, which in the past under Kevin Steele, like I really hated it when they ran zone. I feel like a lot of people were just lost. It's so much easier if you're just like, hey, I'm better than you. Let's play man, which they've been able to do with guys like Noah Benogany and Roger McCreary, you know, as of late. So. Jamel Dean, I mean, even Carlton Davis. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I, with you. I would like them to follow, guys. Unless there's some heinous mismatch, like if the number one wide receiver for the other team ends up being the fastest human being alive, then, but then again, you know, how do the, you know, does Auburn really have that fast of a secondary to be able to match up with that? So you still maybe do want Roger McCreary over there. I don't know if you can find a mismatch for Roger McCreary. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you get somebody that's just can, you know, Anthony Schwartz type speed that they actually throw to, I think you look at it as you just defend them differently. Maybe you get a Jalen Simpson or a Drayshawn Miller, a more physical corner, and you beat them up at the bracket. line. Yeah, Maybe you bracket it over the top, and you, yeah, you just, you just can't just... have a clean release with it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would agree with that. And okay, then my number two, I really like Nehemiah Pritchett. Unfortunately, I keep seeing so much about him moving to that slot corner spot, so I know he's not going to be on the outside. I, I think there's a misconception, though, and uh, let me know if you agree or disagree with this. With 
it's you know the first corner and the second corner on the outside guys and the third corner is just going to be moved to the inside I don't think it's necessarily a first second third kind of thing I think they it's looked fair. at you, it you and, match up yeah and it's like okay Nehemiah Pritchett is better at covering more space so you put him in the middle of the field I don't think it's necessarily like okay they like Jalen Simpson more than Nehemiah Pritchett, so they put him outside. I, I I think there's a big misconception about that. That's a good point, and oftentimes you try and match up with the receivers on the other side, especially if you're running a lot of man coverage. That's a good point. Something I like a lot about Nehemiah Pritchett, I saw these stats out there, whether it was college football film room or pro football focus. I can't remember which one. I think it was college football film room put this one out. But he had like great account. Am- among, 100%. Yeah. Among one of the – few returners in the defensive backfield in the sec he had like one of the lowest yards per catch allowed out of everybody else something like that or yards per target it was along it was along that range he's not giving up a lot who, who had this nehemiah pritchett wow he he has some attractive numbers pinned to his name coming back whether it was yards per target or, or yards per catch allowed. I can't remember and which, but they're probably hand-in-hand. Hand. And something that I think a lot of people... I mean, it's obvious, but I don't think people think about it a lot. But when you have a number one guy like a Roger McCreary, and Auburn has grown really accustomed to this, it allows you to put your number two and number three guys on their number two and number three guys. And so, like, it's just... It creates more winnable matchups and guys that aren't asked to step up as much, and, and you're able to to kind of win all those one-on-one matchups, and Pritchett's been great at it. 100%. And people are not going to throw to Roger McCreary as much. They want to stray away from throwing to Roger McCreary. You end up throwing to your to the twos and the threes in the, in the defensive backfield, and you expect to be able to win those matchups. But Auburn, it doesn't. there's not a huge drop-off at this point. I mean, right. Roger McCreary's great, but Pritchett and Simpson can play at the next level as well. And so that lends a hand I, I, either for that third spot. I, I think it's either Dreshawn Miller or Jalen Simpson. Yeah, I'm really high up on these West Virginia DBs because West Virginia last year statistically was the top secondary in all of college football. Gave up the least amount of pass yards per game in the entire country, and that and also as far as completion percentage is concerned, you know quarterbacks were south of sixty percent against these guys. Yeah, that's pretty so good. I. I he may have not have been third team All American like his safety counterpart transfer Tyke Smith was, yeah. but he's he's going in a in a passing league where every quarterback seems like they could throw the football right. out in the Big Twelve, and the receivers can play too. And it's not just three wide out there. A lot of it, a lot of it's four wide when you look at some of those offenses. I mean, the SEC West is getting to that point when you yep. look at what Alabama's done and LSU and Ole Miss and and, and Mississippi State with the air raid. I mean. You you got you got Arkansas and Auburn that are probably the least pass happy teams in the SEC West mm-hmm. at this point. But after Dreshawn Miller and Jalen Simpson, the there's a huge drop off. I feel like in the Auburn defensive backfield because we haven't seen any of them. There's just I, I think not you're being too hard on Domeo. I think you're being too hard on Domeo. I think injury I was a big so. thing, and also last year. I mean, we didn't see any new guys last year, with the exception of Tennyson, and it's because we only saw him when when Tut got got hurt, and so it was like a necessity thing. I think they made a decision going into the year with this weird offseason that they had last year that they're like, okay, unless you're Tank Bigsby, we're just not going to play freshman. And I guess Capers when, when, when he was healthy. So, But on the defensive side, they didn't really rotate anybody in. They mm-hmm. stayed base a lot. There were like four. I think there were games where like only sixteen defensive players played. Something Having crazy like awful that. Awful flashbacks right now, man. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I hated I Auburn's defense last season, probably more than I hated Auburn's offense. Wow, that's that's that that's says a, a lot. That's a juicy take. And, and you know why I did? 
because I knew how talented yeah. the players were at at least the second and third levels. Right. And partially, I think the defensive line really messed things up for those guys at the second and third level. I think they made them look a lot worse than they actually were. I agree were. with you. Yeah. They obviously didn't help them. And then you got – look – I know it's awesome that Zacoby McLean averaged more than ten tackles a ball game, but it really shouldn't be that way. Yeah, your defensive line, should, you know, he probably shouldn't have been the well, SEC it, leader in tackles. And, and last year's defense for sure. This year's defense, I think, it's set up for linebackers to get more tackles because you want you want these these big defensive linemen to control two gaps and you know force double teams so linebackers can be unblocked. So last year, I one hundred percent agree with you. I think you are going to see similar numbers this year, though. Um, but but yeah yeah I um I think a lot of Auburn folks have been low on Marco Domeo and I think it's just because there's not enough information out there's there. there's not though. there's not but I think when you hear from folks that it were at practice or you hear you know from former players talking about this team his name does come up and I think that's something worth noting now can he be very talented and, and, and be buried on the depth chart yes both things can be true but um I, I'm high on Domi. I was really high on him last year, and, and I haven't really moved away from that. How much time does he have left here? Uh, I think it's this season, or he's got to move on. Really? Well, then he's probably moving on because I, I think there's a massive logjam in front of him. And le- but the logjam may go away after this year, right? Because you that's why think- I asked that question. Because yeah. could he be back next season and just be a late emerger in his career and possibly have an outstanding? final season in college football mm-hmm. and then take the next step to the nfl yeah and, and, and i'm trying to think about the timeline for all of this so mccreary's definitely gone right you got to think miller will be gone but simpson and pritchett may not be exactly they could they could go but, but i don't think it matters if they go to get domeo on the field because domeo just needs one yeah. or two guys to leave to see in a massive increase in playing time yeah and i think domeo is strictly um, an outside corner. The, the corner we have forgotten throughout all this is Kamal Haddon, the uh, a top JUCO guy that has kind of been you know the, the 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 best corner in the in the second unit. And so it's like, could it be Domeo and Haddon, their guys stepping up next year? Possibly. Uh, but but uh, you know Haddon's a guy that a lot of people are gushing over as well. So even if there's a mass exodus of defensive backs after this year, because you know you're at least losing Smoke Monday and Roger McCurry for sure. After those guys leave, though, if more guys decide to leave, as long as you're not losing your twos like Haddon and Domeo, just be patient. It could not be as bad as it looks. Yeah, it's just um, that's the way college football is right now, right? If you don't play right away, you got to transfer. Mm-hmm. That is that and, is very and true. And they should have that right, but uh, you know, sometimes I think it pays to, to be patient. So, yes, more frustrated. That's my take, and I, I've given you my DBs, my, my three, or I, I will settle on – I'm going to go with, gosh, I don't know what to do here, whether it's Simpson or Miller. I, I, I don't know. It's so tough, man. I value Miller's experience. Obviously, this coaching staff really wanted him. That's the, like You know Dreshawn Miller is their guy. Right. They went and recruited him. He tagged Zach Guthridge in his announcement tweet. So you know that this coaching staff wanted him. Not that they don't want Jalen Simpson, but they didn't recruit Jalen Simpson. Right. And so there's no guarantee that they have allegiance to guys that have been previously here. Jalen Simpson has one year of experience. Miller also only has one year of experience playing full-time defensive snaps. It's it's hard to evaluate because I didn't watch a whole lot of West Virginia football last year, as I'm sure a lot of people probably didn't. And right. then, and, but we've seen a lot of Jalen Simpson, and, and he's been good. I'm probably not as high up on him as you are, yeah. but I, 
it's just hard for me for me to choose between those two but sure. they're both going to be on the field a lot I, I think they're probably both on the field about the same amount that that is a cop-out answer but in this day and age where you, th- you see more four wide receiver sets i think you see both of them on the field a similar amount of time yeah and like a dime package kind of thing right yeah yeah all right you were going nfl and i just totally interrupted you well we only have a couple of minutes left so maybe we'll just save that for hour number two i okay. want to go back to the juicy take the apparently that i had that i hated the auburn defense last year more than the auburn offense the auburn offense just had and this is partially our the collective our fault as far as like the uh, the voices of auburn and, and including you know the 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 fan base and the media and message board posters and all that but we just really pumped ourselves up on chad morris coming in and making bo Nix deshaun watson i didn't my, my i had a podcast in january of last year said don't buy the chad morris hype well, i man, did you, i was you the only person it. probably you now, nailed it i will say this though as i got to the summer the optimism in me came out i was like hey you know maybe things work out but my big thing about chad morris was and i don't know if we saw this happen at auburn but my big thing about chad morris was i didn't know how the power dynamic was going to work between gus malzahn and chad morris first of all never work with your friends never borrow money from your friends uh-huh. don't do that stuff that's it they just don't mix well and it right. ends to it ends to bad and it ends up ending poorly most of the time but the other thing was Gus Malzahn has always at Auburn been the smartest guy in the room when you're talking about offense mm-hmm. always he's yep. always had subordinates underneath them when Chad Morris came he's already been an head coach he's been in a position of power over the last you know six seven seasons since he had been at smu and seen success and then also been at arkansas so my big thing with chad morris was how is this going to work power wise between him and malzahn how is that going to work because malzahn i don't think is the smartest guy in the room anymore i I don't know if there is a smartest guy in the room anymore and is he going to be okay with sharing that and i don't know maybe maybe we did see auburn run into some of the things that we saw him run into with chip Lindsay and rhett lashley and the who's calling the plays and whatnot yeah i just didn't i never saw that working from the get-go because i wondered about the power dynamic between the two yeah and and it looked like it was gus's plays and chad was calling them as kind of you know the farther we get away from that situation and look back on it that's kind of what it seems like but i mean just the the passing patterns and they would apparently run patterns that made sense in practice according to anthony schwartz and then in games they wouldn't call them and then like there were just some like Issues with Bo Nix as far as him leaving the pocket too early and all that stuff that people love to talk about where it was like, you know, why didn't they fix that early on? But yeah, lots of questions. On the other side of this break, we talk with Britt Bowen, the Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We talk women's basketball, new head coach Johnny Harris here on On The Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And as promised, we got big time Britt Bowen on the phone line with us. The Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer joining us today. Britt, how you doing today, my man? No, it's doing well, War Eagle. And uh, before we get going, man, just want to congratulate you on winning the Abbey Award, man. That's awesome. Man, you've come such a long way from your freshman year at Auburn at WEGL and just, just super proud of all the things you've accomplished. I really appreciate that, man. It, it means a lot that uh, to hear that coming from you. And also, congratulations to you as well on, on the big life news you've been putting out there. you got a baby on the way, and I know that's huge, and I'm super excited for you as well. But 
let's get into it because Auburn made some some exciting news this past weekend on, on Saturday Auburn announced who their new women's basketball coach will be and they introduced her yesterday with Johnny Harris longtime assistant coach not only in the SEC but also most recently this past year from Texas as the associate head coach of the Longhorns she is now joining the Auburn program as the head coach how do you feel about this hire? Man, I'm I'm super excited uh, because Coach Harris, uh, she brings all the all the tools needed to build a program. She has the experience. She's a great recruiter, and most importantly, she's a great developer. She's a great developer of young women, and that's exactly what Auburn women's basketball needs. I mean, the the accomplishments for for her as a coach speak for themselves, um, and she's going to have the chance to really make her mark as a head coach because she's going to have the chance to build this program literally from the ground up. I mean, Auburn this past year not winning a conference game, we're at rock bottom right now. And she she has the chance to, to turn this program and to turn this program around in, in, in a way that, that we haven't seen in the last 20, 25 years. So um, it, it starts this year, though. It starts this, this November here in 2021 and and it's going to take some time but what as soon as she can lay that foundation um we've got a bright future ahead of us here at Auburn women's basketball longtime assistant coach has seen her longest stint at Mississippi State as the associate head coach there for Vic Schaefer also was with him at Texas but also spent time in the Big 12 at Texas A&M back in 2007 to 2012 was also at Arkansas from 04 to 07 and she has accomplished many things throughout her assistant coaching career including 2018 WBCA assistant coach of the year so Britt my question to you is some people are going to draw out the concern that she hasn't been a head coach before kind of the the narrative going into this coaching search was Auburn's either going to try and go after established head coaches that have done it before maybe an up-and-comer out there like like a Sean Doug Rigby over at Troy or you're going to go out and get a longtime assistant that has been at some of the bigger programs. The concern here, there, there are concerns on both sides with that coaching search, but some people might bring up that she hasn't been a head coach before. Defend that, that you know, or, or have a rebuttal for that. What does that mean, she hasn't been a head coach? Because if we hire a head coach from a mid-major, well, the, 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 the argument is going to be, well, the, can she coach in the SEC? Can she coach in the Power Five? Can, can she recruit against top 25 teams? Um, so I, I don't really buy that. I don't really put a whole lot of stock into that because uh, there are a, a lot of coaches out there who have been successful but haven't been head coaches before. And, and quite frankly, her experience in this league, she knows this league top to bottom. I mean, isn't that what we want? Somebody who can come in to, to help Auburn compete and, and, and can help Auburn in recruiting because right now, that is what Auburn needs. And not only is she a great recruiter, she's one of the best recruiters in the country. I mean, yeah, people often credit Vic Schaefer for what he did at Mississippi State. You want to know who his top recruiter was? Johnny Harris. Um, you want to know who's been scouting all these teams and beating all these teams in the SEC this year? In, 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 in years past, Johnny Harris in Mississippi State and also while she was with uh, Gary Blair at Texas A&M. So, I, I just don't put a whole lot of stock into that. Right now, Auburn needs the right fit for Auburn and the right fit to build this women's basketball program because 
look, you can get a head coach. You can get a, a coach with head coaching experience, but if you come in and you're not the right fit for a school or, right, or not the right fit for a specific league, that doesn't really matter. It, it just doesn't matter at all. So let's come in, let, let's give her a chance. Let, let, let's give her three to four years to, to lay this foundation and build this thing up and, and then come back to me and ask me the question, hey, she hasn't been a head coach before. And, and, and guess what? In, in four to five years, hey, We'll know one way, or, one way or the other. But right now, that argument doesn't have a whole lot of stock because her experience, her resume, and how she developed student-athletes far exceeds uh, a, a title, a job title of being a head coach. You bring up recruiting for this Auburn women's basketball team, which has been a criticism of the program in the past. What does improving that area of the program look like? That's a good question, Noah. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, I don't have the answer to that right now. I mean, right, I, I will say this past year, and, and Auburn had to rely heavily on 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 JUCO recruiting. And, and let's just be honest that that is not a a long term that is not a long term success plan to have to rely on on JUCO recruiting. I mean, it, it's good to do it when you snag a player here or there, but. That that can't be your primary goal. So for Auburn recruiting, we've got to we essentially got to build a plan from scratch for Coach Harris and and to build a team. And Coach Harris talked about it yesterday. You've got to build kids that's going to fit her system. And and right now, I, it's not determined as to whether or not any of the players on Auburn's roster will will fit Coach Harris's system just because they don't know each other. They haven't seen each other practice yet. So. She'll need time to evaluate what she has now on the roster and go from there. But guess what? Her players right here, right now, they're her players. They, they, are, they are step one to building this foundation. So, um, it, again, we're, we're going to find a lot out in, in the next, in, honestly, six to eight months as to what Auburn needs. A lot of people will obviously point to the inside game with, with the absence of Unique Thompson, and I, I – I, I agree. Like that is going to be a huge need for Auburn in the short term is getting some more depth inside the post, especially with the future of Ty White unknown, and then you have Jayla Jordan coming back. Romy Levy, I, I, she she's a solid player, but she she's got to get bigger. She's got to get bigger to play inside. She got beat up a good bit last year in the SEC just physically. So that's going to be one of the top the top positions Auburn's going to need early. And then also a point guard. I, I think Elena Rice established herself late, um, but Auburn is going to need a point guard to win to win in this league. But all in all, Noah, to answer your question, like like Coach Harris needs a, needs a chance to come in here and, and, and evaluate and see what's needed, and then she's got to build her staff because her staff is going to have a lot to do with this recruiting plan too. Moving forward, yesterday she had her introductory press conference, and you were there what was your major takeaway from that press conference? Just how passionate she is. Just how passionate she is for her players and, and as a coach and how competitive she is and how much she wants to win. Um, that, that, that to me was just it was a breath of fresh air, fresh air just because she's done it before. She's done it everywhere she's been. Um, and and that, that initially stood, stood, stood out to me. And then also, too, the players' response on the telephone with her they had a they had a, a brief encounter with her on the on the telephone through, through the interview process and the player's first question to her was hey when's our first chance to get back out on the floor 
they're itching to get better. They want to be coached. So that to me was just encouraging to hear. Um, I, I, again, I, I'm so excited again, just for her to have the chance to get in and get started. I, I, I think that's the, the, the number one thing for me is to, Hey, let's, let's get through the media stuff. Let's get through the interviews and, and give her a chance to get that staff built, get her staff hired and, and get on the floor and get to work. Cause I, there, there's just so much excitement around it. And, I, I know she's ready to get the job done. So what's next for Coach? I'm assuming it's hiring assistants and whatnot. Is there any, any leads on that, or is it just kind of it's just now beginning? Yeah, I think it's just now beginning, at least from what I understand. I, I, I unfortunately don't have any information to share on, on coaching candidates or anything of that nature, but um, I, I'm interested to see who she brings in uh, because – we all know the staff plays an integral part of, of building a program. I mean, look what Coach Harris Smith to, to Texas A&M, Texas, and, and also Mississippi State with Coach Schaefer. So um, that, that, to me, is the very next step. I mean, you've you got to get a staff hired, hopefully, within the next couple of weeks. I think with the NCAA tournament being, being over, I, I think that's going to expedite the process quite a bit because, honestly, with Coach Harris and her team, I mean, they, they just made it to the Elite Eight, which we saw why it took Auburn search so long to, to make a hire. Speaking with Britt Bowen here, Auburn women's basketball play-by-play announcer about Johnny Harris, the new Auburn women's basketball coach. And this is something that has came up in the media when Coach Flo was fired, talking about fan support for the women's basketball program and there's no secret you step into Auburn Arena for a women's basketball game and it has not been the best image for fan support for for Auburn women's basketball and that has prompted many opinions on the subject but in your mind and maybe this is too simple but in your mind which comes first because we've seen with Bruce Pearl the ability to recruit a fan base the ability to to generate the fan base at least to a degree before the wins came do you think it's do you think it's wins or do you think the fan support has to come first i think right now the fan support does have to come first because since coach harris i mean she's she's really and truly just like coach pearl had to do is having to come in and do a complete rebuild well complete rebuilds take three four years sometimes to do it to do it successfully um i i don't think coach harris comes in and wins at a high level right away immediately i think there's going to be some development and some growing pains in that um but for auburn you know a, a, a big part of that conversation was hey does auburn care enough about auburn women's basketball does the fan base care enough about auburn women's basketball well i i think auburn athletics just made just made their statement that they do care about auburn women's basketball because they went out and hired one of the top assistants in this country and coach johnny harris so First and foremost, that, that is a hire to be excited about right then and there. But then it, it, it takes effort. It, it's not just the fan base. It's not just the athletics department. It's not just the team. It is a joint effort. It, it, to me, it takes, it takes everybody. Yes, fans need to buy in. Fan, fans need to buy in and support from day one. The athletics department and the women's basketball program, they need to give fans a reason to support. It all goes full circle. There, there, there's no... There's no pointing fingers that, hey, one needs to do this, one needs, one needs to do the other. We all need to step in and do our part to support this women's basketball program because they need it. And, and, and I can promise you this, when they, get, when they get this thing going, they get this thing turned around, 
they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, and, and everybody's going to want to hop on the train then. So it's, uh, my, my word is, hey, let's hop on now. Let's get behind them. Let's support them through these growing pains. And, and support the players. Support the players on the roster right now. You know, that, that's one thing that's, that's so often overlooked. Players and even the, even the managers, things of that nature, you know, these, these are students. These, these are student athletes who are, what, 17 to 21 years old, excuse me, 17 to 21 years old, who, who has gone through a ton of change in the last month. I mean, lives are changing. Yes, head coaches get paid, but lives are changing. Um, they're, they're having to adjust to their daily routines, establish new relationships. They're asked to buy in to Coach Johnny Harris, who, let's be honest, they, they probably don't know that well right now. So, so let's be supportive. Excuse me. Let's be supportive of these players and this program, and give them a chance to succeed. Because we saw with Coach Pearl and his staff, it doesn't happen overnight. When Auburn softball made their run several years back. It didn't happen overnight. Coach Thompson, his first year at Auburn, it did not happen overnight. These these, these programs need time. And, and I know Coach Malzahn in Auburn football, yes, that, that was a different scenario in 2013. But more times than not, it takes time to build programs, and it takes administrative support. It takes uh, buy-in from the players, the coaching staff, and it takes buy-in from the fan base. It takes us all for this to be – successful and, and that's what i encourage everybody to do just do your part be successful and come out to auburn arena because it, 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 it it's, it's a good time and there, there's truly when auburn arena is, is crowded there's no better atmosphere in the country do you see any similarities maybe between her and bruce pearl because a point that i made on the show yesterday when we were talking about the hire was that bruce pearl went out and recruited a fan base like uh, of course, uh, I think you would agree with this. There, there's just more of a following for men's basketball than there is for women's basketball, so a much easier job to recruit a men's basketball fan base. But people weren't wanting to go into to, to Auburn men's basketball games, and he went out and, and dug in with the community and, and, and rubbed elbows with folks in the community. He was giving pizza to students. He was everywhere. He was all over the place. He was on TV. Do you see similar qualities in Johnny Harris, or do you think it's a different – um, or, or do you think it's a different makeup in how she's going to go and recruit a fan base? That's a great question, and the answer to that is I can't wait to ask for that myself. I'm supposed to meet with her here in the next couple of days, and, and that's one of the things I want to ask her because, um, one, I know she is going to get out in the community. I mean, she stated that yesterday. That That, that is a priority of hers for, for her for her student athletes to get out in the community and for her staff. So first and foremost, I know they will do that. But number two, how they will do that, I want to ask her. Because, Noah, she had to do this. Her and Coach Schaefer had to recruit a fan base at Mississippi State. When when Mississippi State, when they got there, when they were rebuilding that program and they were they were national runner-ups you know, at Mississippi State a couple times, they had to recruit that fan base. It just did not happen overnight. So it's encouraging to me that she's already done that once at Mississippi State. She's done it in this league. So how she's done that, I don't know. I look forward to learning how she's done that. But here's one thing that's that's important to know. She doesn't have to do everything just like Coach Pearl did it. Now, it's important to to do it, to, to be successful. I think to be successful in, in any program at Auburn, you, you have to be in bed with a community. You have to be because – Auburn's a family. Auburn is a close, tight knit community. If you aren't, if you aren't in communication with the with the community and the fan base, it's going to be tough to succeed here. 
And you don't have to – all the coaches, they have their own blueprint. They have their own personalities. They need to be who they are. But at the same time, it's important to take some of those attributes from Coach Pearl that, that, that led him in the, in the men's basketball program to be successful, to, to integrate maybe possibly some of those things. But it, first and foremost, it's important for, for them to establish who they are. And then, of course, with Coach Pearl – I mean, he, he's made it clear. That's one thing everybody loves about him. I know certainly one of the, my favorite things about him, they all support one another. All the coaches, all the programs support one another. And I think having that support is, is going to go a long way. And, that, and that's why Coach Pearl, Coach Harson, Coach Thompson, um, Coach Dean, I mean, all the coaches at Auburn, I mean, like them supporting one another, it doesn't just help their program. It helps Auburn, and that and that's one of the, the things that makes this place so unique and so special. And, and one of the reasons I think Coach Harris is, is, is going to be extremely successful in getting this thing turned around and getting people excited about Auburn women's basketball. Britt, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show with us today. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and, and see all the cool stuff that you, uh, that you put out there about the women's basketball team, softball, and beyond. Yeah, no, it's, uh, my Twitter handle is at Britt Bowen, A-U, that's B-R-I-T-B-O-W-E-N-A-U, at Britt Bowen, A-U on Twitter, and uh, check us out on Friday night, 6 o'clock, 545, we'll be on the Auburn Tigers app and the Auburn Sports Network for game one between Auburn softball and Texas A&M. It's going to be a big one because the Tigers go on the road this weekend, need a big win, so looking forward to all the support we can get. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon. Appreciate it, Noah Warrigal. Thanks for having me. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here in the studio with you. Lance Dahl rolling in as well. We've got a great hour number two up for you guys in just a few moments. We're wrapping up hour number one here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get new episodes of your crime shows on CBS starting at 7 with NCIS and at 8 with FBI. Over on ABC, this seems like a crime. Pooch Perfect has a new episode with grooming teams faced with the challenge of transforming their dogs into a geometric shape. Movie selections for tonight, Shrek is on Freeform at 6 and at 8, Shrek goes head-to-head with Rumpelstiltskin and Shrek Forever After. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on FX at 6.30. There's a thriller on IFC at 6 with Shutter Island. Action movie with G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra on Sci-Fi at 8. Say goodbye to college basketball and live sports, but the NBA is still in full swing. Two games are on TNT tonight. Starting at 6.30, catch the 76ers and the Celtics. And at 9, the Bucks and the Warriors will battle it out to close the night. In the MLB, the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies meet for an early season divisional matchup with the game at 6.05 on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you in the studio here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby earlier on in the show for filling in with us as he is headed out of here. Big thank you to him. You can check out his podcast on the Locked On Auburn podcast. Also a big thank you to Britt Bowen in that previous segment for joining us on the line. Britt with a lot of great insights about the women's basketball hire. Super pumped to have seen what this Auburn women's basketball program has done with Coach Johnny Harris and bringing her on as the new head coach. I think bright things are ahead for a program that has a lot of history, a lot of tradition, 
but has fallen on some tough times at the moment. So super excited to see that. And if you missed that conversation with Britt, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Lance, we got a great hour number two coming up in front of us. You were right about the national championship game. We'll be talking about that later on. We've also get back into some Auburn football talk. We've got our 8A depth chart series tomorrow. You and I will be providing what we think the depth chart looks like at quarterback. So we'll touch on that just a little bit, just like Zach and I did. We'll also keep everybody up to date. What's next for Auburn baseball today? They were supposed to be playing Kennesaw State. That game was... I don't want to say canceled. It was postponed. It says they're going to, the press release said that they were going to explore an alternate date. Let's see if they could get that hammered out. It's not like Kennesaw State's the most important game that you want to get rescheduled in the world. Well, we've also got a fun topic in hour number two. So college football teams ditch spring games and actually play some real opponents in the spring. So we're going to talk about that later on. You'll want to stay tuned for that. we got a fun hour number two on the docket. But that is it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up in just a few moments here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Lance joining me for hour number two of the show. Lance, I appreciate you, my man. Find him on Twitter. At Intern Jaws, find me on Twitter at Point Gardner. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. It's been a good show so far. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast was with me for the first 30 minutes of the show. And then we had Britt Bowen as well for a nice phone call, nice interview about Auburn hiring Johnny Harris as the new women's basketball head coach. If you missed any of our number one, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Lance, how you doing today, buddy? Great. How are you doing, Noah? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a good show so far, and I'm uh, pumped to get here into hour number two. And you are exactly right yesterday about the national championship game. I was wrong. <laughs> I pitted well, Sting against you. I said it's two against one. You're wrong. And it turns out I was wrong. Well, I just. I will never pick Gonzaga to win anything ever again. Ever again. Never ever again. I've been burned too many times now. They have. <laughs> they're relegated to that category. Well, it's d- amazing how much this loss, though, changes my perception of them. And I'm hoping this isn't recency bias, but it does change my perception of Gonzaga just a tad. Well, whenever I was looking at this game, and, you know, I, I, I actually said on air yesterday, it's like, I don't really know which direction to go. But I, I finally decided, like, you know what? I'm going to go with the hot hand. I just think Baylor's shooting really well, and I think they're going to outshoot and outscore Gonzaga. I don't think they're, they're going to be they're going to be able to do enough to stop them. And, you know, on paper, and we talked about this, and you, and you said, I'm going to pick the team that looks better on paper. And it's like, it's your, like Gonzaga, statistically, looks like the must be, much better team. Means and nothing. It, it should have been a mismatch, but it just didn't matter. Baylor came out shooting hot. I believe they were 5-for-5 five five from three. 
uh, about 10 minutes into the game. They were just shooting the lights out of it, and they came to play ball. They played really, really tight defense. They were really handsy. They were checking the Gonzaga every time they tried to bring the ball back out to the top. Very physical defense, just, just absolutely blew Gonzaga out of the gym. I will not. Let this be known. I will not pick Gonzaga to win an NCAA tournament until they actually do it. I would rather be wrong than pick them to win again and be burned like I have so many times in the past. This is not the first time I've picked Gonzaga to win a national championship, but you best believe it's the last time until they win it. I've got some major uh, uh, major issues that I want to dive into with this Gonzaga basketball team, and, and, and maybe this is recency bias, and maybe major is a little bit blowing it out of proportion here, but this is sports talk radio, you know. But <laughs> here's my thing. It changed my perception a, a little bit of this Gonzaga program for them to lose the national championship this way. If they had lost by two, maybe it doesn't change my perception. But they didn't just lose by two. They lost by 16. They didn't, they, they didn't even make a, any, any bit of a comeback in the second half. The best that they did was chip this thing to 10 at halftime. And they and, just gave up. And, and Baylor wins this game by 16. They even win the second half. I knew once Baylor got up and they began to hold their lead for the majority of the first half, I was like, man, this is the way that Baylor's shooting the ball right now, it's going to be hard for Gonzaga to find their way back into this because of the difference here in, in tempo. You're, you're Basically, when, when Gonzaga got down by about 16 or 18 points in that first half, I was thinking to myself, I, I don't know if they can outscore Baylor by 16 from here out with the way that Baylor is shooting the basketball at the moment. And it wasn't just open shots. They were knocking down contested shots as well. So once Baylor just rushed out, and, and you said this on yesterday's show, you said that you thought that the team that won those first couple of minutes of the ball game, that was probably going to be the team that ended up carrying it out. And that's exactly what happened. And I thought about that instantly when Baylor got out to that lead to start it off that double digit lead to open up and said at that moment even when they were up 10-0 early on or 9-0 early on I was like man from here out Gonzaga's gonna have to outscore Baylor by nine and as the lead swelled I thought to myself man they're going to have to outscore them by 15 16 from this point and as the lead swelled I thought to myself that's not possible. Right. And we discussed this on yesterday's show, talking about how these are the two best teams in the country. I and, thought. And I don't know anymore if these were the two best teams in college basketball. You think UCLA was better than... Uh, I, I don't would think have had Michigan loses by 16. I agree. I'm, I'm not mad at that. But but talking about these, these two teams being the best in the country, it's like, you know, once one of them gets a sizable lead on the other it would be very, very hard to claw back into that matchup. And so whenever Baylor did get up by 9-0, 10-0, it's like, you know, it's still a ball game, but you're going to have a really tough time coming back on this Baylor team because they're one of, if not the best team in the country, and they proved that last night. You would rather, I think, be playing, of course you would, you'd rather be playing with a lead and, and trying to, to keep Baylor at bay rather than having to try and come back against a team that's that talented offensively. Of course, you'd, you'd much rather have the lead, but... I'm trying not to blow this too far out of proportion. This is just one game. If they play out of 10 times, is this is this game decided this way most of those times? Probably not. So maybe it is unfair for me to say that Gonzaga isn't one of the two best teams in college basketball. But I still do wonder if Michigan loses by 16 when they play Baylor. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm down on this Gonzaga team the day after the national championship because – We've seen this narrative, right? Maybe not losing by 16, but we've seen this narrative like 
this Gonzaga team's different. They're going to do it this year. They've only lost one game or no games. or It's, it's their year. I've been, I, we've been told this year in and year out. And this team was supposed to be the best of them. This team was being talked about as the best college basketball team of all time. And they lost by 16 points. It wasn't close. It didn't even look like they competed. And I don't really think that this is necessarily a factor, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because I do believe it's a, it's, it's a talking point. You know, Baylor plays in the Big 12, one of the best top top. I'm glad you're going here because this is on the rundown, sir. Conferences uh, in all of college basketball. And, you know, they have a they have a – a respectable schedule when you look at Gonzaga and you look at the teams they're playing in the West Coast Conference it's like I know you're playing teams like St. Mary's and BYU you and yeah they're good twice, at all, but you only played them twice that year and BYU both times you played them they played you really really close and they lost in their opening game to UCLA who did make a run but still they lost to an 11 seed they were upset so it, it speaks to the to the toughness of the conference that Gonzaga plays in. So my question is, were they even legitimate to begin with? And I understand that you know you don't just happen to score ninety one points a game. You don't just happen to have three All Americans. You don't just happen to have what potentially could be the number one overall draft pick in this next year's draft in Jalen Suggs. But I have some questions about the, I had some questions about the legitimacy of this Gonzaga team just based off of their schedule and their and their I felt like their statistics were maybe a little bloated, a little inflated because of the the schedule that they had compared to Baylor and, and it, it showed it showed they got they got to play a real what you would consider a power six conference opponent in Baylor and they got beat by sixteen. You look at Baylor's history here. And people may think we're being harsh because, you know, they 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 were a unde- they were an undefeated team going into this. And people may be saying, well, you guys are just basing it all off of one game. I'm not though. This is the, the look at the history. Look at what has happened for this Gonzaga team. This is not the first 30 win team that they've had that has underachieved. I, this is not basing it just off of last night. And once again, I go back to this team was supposed to be. The best of them. This team was supposed to be the best. And the team that lost to North Carolina back in 2017 played North Carolina closer. Lost 71-65 to in that national championship. Still didn't get it done. But let's look at the recent history here for Gonzaga. Of course, this year finished 31-1. and They lose the national championship. Last year, they were 31-2. and No NCAA tournament, of course. They did lose one game at the WCC last season. 33 and 4 back in 2018 2019 went undefeated in the WCC lost in the Elite 8. That's uh, you're 33 and 4. You didn't make it to the final four and beyond. Let's keep going. 2017 2018 32 and 5, 17 and 1 of the WCC lost in the Sweet 16. A 32 win team lost in the Sweet 16. What are we doing? They had to be I, I don't know exactly what seed they were that year, but I, they had to have been at least a a one or a two seed based sure. off of those circumstances. Year before that, twenty-eight and eight, lost in the. Uh, what year was that? What year? Was excuse me, my my bad. Uh, the year that was two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, that they lost in the Sweet Sixteen when they went thirty-two and five. After that, two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, that was the year they went to the national championship, lost to uh, lost to North Carolina. They were thirty-seven and two that year. Before that, twenty-eight and eight, they lost in the Sweet Sixteen. Then they lost in the Elite Eight the year before that when they were thirty-five and three. Some of the best teams that this Gonzaga squad has put on paper or, or, or even into the NCAA tournament like you look at their record some of the most swelled record Gonzaga teams 30 plus wins 
And they're losing the Elite season. Eight or the Sweet 16. And all but one season, they're playing two, in a conference. because they played in the national championship two of those right. years. So you're playing in a conference that you're dominating, dominating that's just not very good. You're not going up against good competition, and you're not preparing yourself to make a deep tournament run because you're not competing against teams that are legitimate. I would agree with you there. I was going to take that in this direction. I think it's time for Gonzaga to leave the WCC. That's not entirely their decision because other conferences have to want to take you, and it makes the situation trickier considering they don't have a football program. So it makes it harder to get you into a conference that most people would look at it geographically and say that it makes sense. But without football money, this conference may not want them. Also, they already have their TV market. This conference that I'm speaking about, the Pac-12, they already have Seattle. That's the one TV market in Washington that you care about. You really don't care about Spokane, Washington. The one TV market in Washington that you care about is Seattle. And you already have that because of the University of Washington in your conference. On top of that, the Pac-12 was probably, as most power conferences are, they are based heavily around football revenue. Gonzaga cannot provide any of that because they don't have a football program. So just looking at that on paper, the Pac-12 probably doesn't really want Gonzaga just for basketball. I think if they did, we probably would have seen it by now. We would have seen some type of push to get Gonzaga into the Pac-12. So then the other option... That primarily makes sense. That is a step up from the WCC. No, it is not the Big West to play amongst the Cal Polys and the Cal State Fullertons. It is the Mountain West Conference. But it begs the question, is the Mountain West really that much better than the WCC? In terms of basketball. Not just aside from football, is is the Mountain West a better conference? Than yeah, the, that was all I mean. Like, does it provide you better competition? I think at the top it does. I think San Diego State's a better team than St. Mary's at BYU on average, and I think UNLV has occasionally a good team. Boise State has had some good teams in recent years. It's got some good clubs there, but it is a little topsy-turvy. Some of those teams are up and down. San Diego State is the most consistent in that conference. Boise State's rather up and down, same with Utah State and Nevada, and then UNLV also. So those four teams kind of rotate on which team is second or third best to San Diego State in the Mountain West. I think from top to bottom, you probably receive more thorough competition because you're at least playing, you're at least playing FBS level competition. You know, and I say FBS, I know that's football, but I mean those types of schools typically attract a higher echelon of athlete, even at the basketball level, rather than your Pepperdines and your San Franciscos and your insert terrible WCC program here. So I think that you do receive tougher competition throughout the year but does it still soften Gonzaga by season's end that's the question my whole contingency is, is the contingent or my whole contention here is, is is what you pointed out I think that the WCC makes Gonzaga soft by the end of the season they try and play tough non-conference schedules this year they scheduled Baylor they had that game scheduled they didn't get to play it and it probably would have helped them to have been able to play that game it probably would have helped both teams but they and they have gone out and they've tried to schedule some good teams in the non-conference and they've gotten that over recent years as the program has risen to prominence but I still question whether or not by the time they get to conference play if playing 18 games in the WCC if that softens you by the time you get to the NCAA tournament because you're going to be a one or a two seed if you're Gonzaga every year because your record is going to be 31 and 2 or 31 and 1 like it was this year you're going to end up a one or a two seed you then are going to play a 16 or a 15 in the first round. You're then going to get 
an average or above average basketball team on the seven line if you're a two seed, or you're going to get an eight or a nine seed if you're a one seed in the second game. So you really haven't played substantial competition. You're getting the best draw every round as you go through the rest of the tournament. And by the time you get to the Sweet 16, then you start playing pretty decent competition like they did this year, but I still think they got a relatively weak five seed this year when they got Creighton. Here's a fantastic point. I'm looking at Gonzaga's schedule, and you talk about, oh, well, they scheduled really good opponents. It's like on paper, it looks like they did. Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Baylor didn't get to play them, Iowa, and Virginia. All of those teams did not make it past the round of 32. None of them did. And wow, Gonzaga, I didn't realize that. Gonzaga beat them all, and they didn't get to play Baylor, but none of those teams made it past the round of 32. So you're talking about how whenever you get to the Sweet 16, you get to play some better competition. We saw Sweet 16 on. Gonzaga started to struggle a little bit. They started to get against te- play against some teams that have actually seen decent competition. You see them play against an 11 seed in UCLA, who granted was hot at the time, but still you should be able to beat them by 10 or 15 points if you're the 31-0 and team that everybody expects you to be. Exactly. So just talking about the WCC, and the, you're right, the conference does make them soft. To be fully transparent here, if Gonzaga had won last night, we wouldn't be talking about this. I'm just being real. We wouldn't be. I understand that. I'm looking inside here to introspective look to think, all right, am I, am I basing this off of recency bias? Am I, am I allowing this game to cloud my judgment? But as I've pointed out, they have a history of failing on the national stage when they've had some good teams. Whenever it gets real. Whenever the game right. gets real. They, they, they can't complete. They can't finish it. They can't play well. And I think that that, because last night was another example of that, the best of them. Once again, this team was supposed to be the best team to have walked through the doors of college basketball, period. Ever. People were putting them in that, in that conversation. And then they didn't do that. They didn't reach that point. And it wasn't like they weren't close. They got blown out of the gym. It was like yep. from, from, the, from tip. They just, got, they just got manhandled and beaten by a real Power 6 team. That's just how it is. And when I was watching, and we got the fortunate, we, we were fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you want to look at this, fortunate for us because we get to talk about it, but unfortunate for Auburn because they had to play both of them, you know. But Gonzaga looked like Auburn did in the first half, or, or, or just Auburn, period when Auburn played Baylor, that it looked like Auburn hadn't been exposed to that level of pressure that Gonzaga was extending on the defensive end. They looked to be a second or a second and a half behind Gonzaga's defensive rotations. Gonzaga always, or Baylor, excuse me, I got that mixed up. Gonzaga looked to be a second or a second and a half behind Baylor, and Baylor appeared to be much the quicker of the two teams. Baylor had been acclimated to this level of play, to this level of talent all year long, Gonzaga, on the other hand, had not faced that with consistency. And guess what? As the game got as the game got more real, as the tournament went on, they started playing some close games. Looking at the UCLA game, two things I want to point out about Baylor. Number one, Baylor only led against four, by four against Auburn at the half. Just want to point that out there. They won by twelve. <laughs> I just want to say, I just want to throw that out there. I just want to say that I know Gonzaga Can't beat the brakes. Yeah, Gonzaga beat, beat the, the brakes off, off of Auburn. Auburn, but still, we didn't have Sharif Cooper. Just saying, just saying, A, like could, Auburn, it, could Auburn have played better than Gonzaga in the title game? Who knows? <laughs> I know you're just messing. That's good, though. But I think it's time for them to leave the WCC. I've been saying this for years, though. I, I have been saying I would enjoy watching them play in a better conference than what they do play in. But just because it makes sense in our mind from a competitive standpoint does not mean that it makes sense from an economic standpoint. 
And a big part of that, the, the economic standpoint, is why they will not move out of the WCC. It's not going to happen anytime soon. They're still going to be playing in the WCC. And I'm still, from here out, not going to be picking Gonzaga to win a national championship because they play in that conference. It's just based off of history and just what has happened in the past. That's just it. Of course, they're not going to miss my bracket picking them. They don't care about that. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just making a statement that I'm not going to fall for this. You know they're the odds favorites to win the title next year? Really? <laughs> Baylor's not even in ESPN's top five preseason next year. They lose a lot. They, they lose, lose a lot, a lot especially that fantastic point guard, Davion Mitchell. Wonder you know, where former he, Auburn point guard, Davion Mitchell, where now national that. champion. Man, <laughs> sometimes you just let the good ones go. And I, I think going to Baylor was a big like I think he had to go to Baylor to become what he is. I, I don't think he would have became what he was if he if he stayed at Auburn all this time. But on the other side, we're going to take a look at the Auburn defensive backfield, specifically the cornerbacks. What one word describes we'll have a couple of one words here. So what what one word is our impressions of this cornerback group? Also, what's next for Auburn baseball? All that coming up here on All the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports between collegiate and high school sports content. We've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. That's how you get through to On the Line. Find... Lance and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Intern Jaws. Still searching for that new handle, man. I'm thinking. I'm not just letting You're it go. Not searching I'm actually hard thinking. But well, I've got some stuff written down, but I don't want to say anything until I've actually. Just in case someone steals it. Exactly. I just want to. I just want to be able point. to put it out there and it be mine. That's a good point. That is so accurate. Well, can you give me a hint? What direction? I cannot. I cannot. Can't give it away. I understand. It probably isn't going to have anything to do with being an intern or or Jaws anymore. Or an employee. Or an employee. I, I I just want to come up with something creative. <laughs> I think you should keep the Jaws branding, but ditch ditch the intern. And, and probably stay away from employee as well, because you are no longer an, an intern. You are still an employee, though. <laughs> True. I'm not, not, not going to say you're no longer an employee either. I just wanted to break that on air real quick. <laughs> oh, We just got finished fuming and ranting on Gonzaga, continuing their trend of letting down on the biggest stage. Now we're going to go to something more happy or something a little bit more local here. Auburn Athletics still with football in spring practice. Tomorrow we're going to do our A-Day depth chart series because it's Wednesday. We've broken up the defensive backfield into cornerbacks and safeties. Figured those two position groups will be more entertaining to talk about than special teams. So, because how do you do a two deep for kicker? How do you do? <laughs> and we have no idea because nobody's asking these questions. We have no idea who is returning kicks. No idea. Eli Stove and um, Christian Tut both gone. They're gone. So who is going to return kicks for Auburn? We'll figure that out in the future, and we'll definitely get a good look at that on A-Day. So we've steered away from special teams, and we're going to go to cornerbacks tomorrow and then safeties next Wednesday. And guess what? We're under two weeks until A-Day, and then we'll have all that answered for us, and then we will truly be into the long, cold offseason. Well, warm because it's scorching got here in Alabama, <laughs> but – cold in the sense that there's no news and it's a barren wasteland of content you just have to make it up as you go so let's talk about this cornerback group what are your one word impressions of this cornerback group I've got three so use one word to describe this cornerback group your first impressions of them going into spring one word 
but give me three of them. So I have to get I'm three words, but one word. Yes. So it's one word each time, and we'll talk about that one word. All right. So the first word, I had a really hard time to. Actually, I was thinking about this just a, just a few minutes ago. If I, what direction I wanted to go in, I wanted to say draftable. But I'm going. That's an excellent word. I didn't even write that. I'm going to go in the direction of experience because looking <sighs> at a couple of these these defensive backs, I'm like, well, I don't really know if they're. I'm draftable. taking draftable and replacing it with experienced on my list. All right, you spec. just gave up a fantastic word. I just gave it up like my Twitter handle. I'm gonna break out here in just a couple of minutes so that somebody else can go steal it before I can change my <laughs> my, my Twitter. All right, so experienced, obviously, this group, they're all back. You didn't lose anybody other than Jamie and Sherwood at the safety position. We're talking about quarters here, though. Simpson, Pritchett, McCreary. McCreary's super experienced. And then you even go to the two deep, Kamal Haddon, also Marco Domio. Although they haven't really gotten game experience, they've been on the roster, though. And they've gotten to sit behind some guys who are experienced. I 100% agree. That is, that is an excellent word, probably the most accurate word to describe this defensive backfield. And not only that, they were actually able to, to add somebody in West Virginia transfer to Deshaun Miller. I mean, whenever you Deshaun Miller, Deshaun, I'm sorry. Whenever you, whenever you're ranking units, and I think we're going to get to talk about this whenever Athlon finally releases my fa- one of my favorite parts of the year is when Athlon releases their you're college not, football. You're not a magazine. Phil Steele guy. I'm not really a Phil Steele guy because sometimes he makes takes that are just like ah, I can't really vibe with that Phil. You're like Skip Bayless. It's just like half the things you say are just a little confusing. Lance, I'm. Sorry to inform you, you are no longer employee. <laughs> Just want to let you know that was the tipping point. But I love Athlon stuff because they do unit rankings, and whenever you're talking about unit rankings across Phil college Steel football, still does too. Yeah, but I like Athlon. I just I'm, okay, just, I'm partial whatever. to it. I, okay, nothing like serious against Phil Steele, but I just I just love Athlon. It's just been a been a thing of mine for about five or six years now. Anyway. When you're talking about unit rankings, you're talking about Auburn. You're talking about nationally. This unit has to be top fifteen. At least, I mean, looking at the just simply looking at the experience they bring back and looking at draftable guys like Roger McCreary. Well, you just said the word that I'm going to use now. Draftable is an excellent word. I didn't come up with it. Can't take credit for it, but I'm stealing it. Thievery here on this segment of On the Line. I'm going with draftable because I think the top three corners, actually the top four corners, all should get drafted. Not after this year, possibly. You could see... Two more seasons of Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson. Roger McCreary's a borderline first rounder after this season's over with. I didn't expect Noah Igbenogany to go in the first round. And because of that, I, I think you could guessed. see because of that, and I thought Igbenogany was great, but because of that, I think you could see Roger McCreary get to that point. And he's a more natural cornerback than Noah Igbenogany was. Noah Igbenogany moved around and he moved from wide receiver all the way to the defensive backfield. So I like Roger McCreary as a natural defensive back a little bit more than I did Noah Igbenogany while he was at Auburn. Now Noah Igbenogany has developed into a phenomenal cornerback throughout his collegiate time, and then now he's in the NFL going through development from an NFL standpoint, but he definitely makes that Miami Dolphins secondary better because he's there. So Roger McCreary, I think for sure, you just look at his, his ceiling, he could go first round. More than likely, he's a second-round guy. Nothing to turn your nose at that on, though, because there's a lot of defensive backs, a lot of cornerbacks that go in the second round and end up being some of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. So I, 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 just because he goes in the second round, I don't think it means anything negative against Roger McCreary. That's still a, a great draft location for him. Jalen Simpson and EMI Pritchett may not go pro after this year, but I think whenever they declare for the draft, they get drafted. I'm not sure what that range 
of I'm not sure what that range of rounds looks like for those guys but I do think they get drafted and the Dreshawn Miller I think leaves after this year and ends up getting drafted somewhere probably late but somewhere on the other side of this break we continue this discussion what's next for Auburn baseball also should SEC teams ditch their spring games and actually play a real game in the spring we'll talk about that on the other side of this break here on On the Line stay on the line more of the show when we come back You're on the line on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's what gets you through to on the line. During the break, I showed Lance my Phil Steele magazine that I keep in my backpack this year's edition. I think you've seen the light. I've I've been shown the error of my ways. And I cannot wait to whenever whenever college football magazines come out, I will I will be picking that up. That is that is that is a must have if you are a college football fan. Just look at getting it to look at it for forty seconds. It's like I need this right now. So I was the exact same way, my friend, about five years ago. And then someone then Zach actually showed me his and I was like, Yep, I need I I, I have to have this. So three three four three two one thirteen ninety, that's what gets you through to on the line find Lance and I on Twitter at Point Gardner at Intern Jaws. Continuing on in our conversation here with Auburn's defensive backfield, specifically the cornerback position, our A-Day depth chart series tomorrow. We're going through one-word impressions of this cornerback group. I will throw in one here. Scrappy. I think scrappy is a good word. Even when this team, even when this group isn't in position, they're going to fight hard to make a play. Even when they're playing excellent defensive backs, or not defensive backs, wide receivers, this group, maybe maybe they may be outmanned. I, I still think they're going to give their best effort. And as part of their physicality, they're going to be scrappy and try and literally scratch and claw their way to make a play. I don't think this defensive backfield is ever truly out of a play unless, like we saw several times last year between the, the tandem of Christian Tut and Smoke Monday, the top getting blown off the defense and, and maybe a downfield pass. But I think this is a scrappy group that is good at playing somewhere between 15 yards, 15 yards of line of scrimmage and within that. that Obviously, I think downfield, they could they could be a lot better. Last year, I think they got exploited on the on the long ball. But anywhere inside 15 yards, I think this is a, a really talented group, and, and they fight hard to make plays. I think that's pretty accurate, just looking at some of these guys. And I, I don't want to hate on Auburn. I've said this a lot. Of, I think I've said it on this show, and I think I've said it on Locked on Auburn, uh, the, the podcast that Zach Blackerby does a few times, just talking about how I feel like the defense is, it was a little undersized at times last season whenever they go, would go up against teams. I'm like, man, that defensive line is just undersized. Man, that secondary is just undersized. But what they did do is they would get the job done, and they did play scrappy guys like like Ladarius Tennyson, who is on, who who looks five foot nine. He's listed at five ten. He looks five nine. Um, guys like Nehemiah Pritchett, only one hundred and seventy five pounds. Not a very big dude. Uh, Roger McCreary, maybe a first round pick in next year's draft. Only six foot, a buck eighty five. So looking at some of these guys that Auburn has, you know they're very talented, but they're not the biggest players out there, and they they do make scrappy plays guys like guys like Jalen Simpson if you didn't see the first half of that Kentucky game if you weren't watching whenever we open the season against Kentucky go back and watch because you'll get to see one of the biggest hits I've I've ever seen watching Auburn when Jalen Simpson just absolutely ran over a dude that was catching a screen pass I mean these guys are tough so one more one word 
impression of this cornerback group and we want to hear from you too if you've got one word to describe this cornerback group at Auburn we want to hear from you about it 334-321-1390 Lance one more what you got for me mm. you went with experienced Scra- we've gone with draftable and we've gone with scrappy, scrappy. I'm going to say I'm going to say off of scrappy I'm going to say athletic because these like guys that. these guys are very athletic again go back to Simpson very physical hard-hitting guy McCreary very very um, talented corner, very versatile, able to do a lot of different things. Smoke Monday, not able to move uh, very well laterally, but obviously a very, t- very talented athlete. Ball hawk, we saw that pick against Tennessee. Um, guys like Nehemiah Pritchett who have been able to step up and make some athletic plays. I really want to see this year, I'm really excited to see Marco Domeo and Chris Thompson Jr. Chris Thompson Jr. is actually the biggest corner I believe that Auburn would be using even out of the secondary, not just corner, even even in the in the in the secondary with Smoke Monday, he's the biggest guy that they have, 6'2", 206. So these guys are athletic. They're physical and they're scrappy and they hit hard and they play well. And again, we're talking about units. This Auburn unit coming back experience, they have a chance to be really good this season. Let's change the conversation now. Something that I saw in the Knoxville News Sentinel, an article that they had up. I was looking around on the internet. I was like, what's going on? What's the latest in SEC football? So easy to get caught up in just Auburn stuff going on locally, which I know a lot of folks want to hear us talk about, but also want to talk about a lot of what's going on in the SEC because you should want to know what your opponents are doing, especially at this time of year. So I was going around, looking around, and then I stumbled upon a fun article that the Knoxville News Senator wrote, and it was uh, basically saying that college football teams should ditch spring games and play a legitimate opponent in the spring. And this is something that, an idea that I would jump all over, 100%, all over this. I don't know why we're not already doing this. Why is this a problem? I don't know if you could give me a good reason why we shouldn't do this. Why are we not? Uh, I think if you're going to play a legitimate, if you're going to play legitimate competition, I think a word that comes up a lot whenever people are talking about spring practice or an, or a spring game is vanilla. You're not going to get to see a whole lot of what the team has to offer. So if you go pit two teams together, let's just give a really dr- dramatic example: Alabama and Clemson. If they got to play each other for a spring game, I think that's a little extreme. I wasn't suggesting that Alabama and Clemson get together, but. Well, if you, you, know. if you see two Power 5 teams get together, you're probably not going to get going, going to get their best brand of football. You're probably not out there looking to get a win. You're just looking to get, I don't know, fan support, fan attention. I, I guess that would be the only reason. 100%. That you would do it. All reasons why this should occur. So I don't think vanilla is a problem for these spring games. They don't want to show anything either. It would be fun, but I just don't think we'd be getting the full legitimate experience. But spring games, aren't, aren't they already vanilla? I think it's more just for the... Yeah, it it is, but I think it's more for just the fans to kind of figure out, okay, what will the team potentially look like, even though you're not going to get to see like all the different plays and different schemes and stuff like that. But it can still, that can still be achieved. I'm glad we're talking about this because I want you to bring me all the objections. I'll shoot them down because like, I I don't think that's a problem for playing another team, say, say Auburn to Georgia Tech play. I don't think that that's a problem because you're just treat the game the exact same way you're treating playing each other. They're already televised. Everybody can watch it. So you're you just treat it the exact same way. I, I just, don't think it changes anything. I just don't see. I just don't see how, as a fan, I could get behind it and get as excited. Really, I, th- I think I would be. I would feel the same way if I saw Auburn playing Georgia Tech for a spring game. I'd probably be just as excited as if Auburn was just playing normal A Day. You because think? Because I, I think I would be getting the same product. Either that way, is shocking. It just it would just be a different name on the side of the field instead of the blue team and the white team. I'd be like, oh, it's Auburn and Georgia Tech. I would be getting. You wouldn't want to watch more spring games if it was Auburn, Georgia Tech, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, 
like better matchups than just like Arkansas versus Arkansas? I I wouldn't simply because I wouldn't be getting a real I wouldn't be getting a real game. I wouldn't be getting competition. I would just be getting to see what the team could potentially look like for next season. We get that in a normal spring game. That's just my thought. That is wild. No, like I understand. I the, thought everybody would be for this. Maybe I'm alone. I understand the well. I, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people would agree with you. I'm just like thinking about it. Like you know, whenever I go into a day, what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking to see how the quarterback's performing, and I'm looking to see just how the units gel, and just kind of like getting to see some different things. But as far as like getting to play another Power Five conference in in that like setting, I just can't. I just don't see how that's that's fun and entertaining. Another thing that comes up that people will say about this, coaches will bring up injury. And I don't think that that really holds a lot of weight there either because guys get hurt throughout spring practice. Guys also get hurt in the spring game. It happens. There's not a greater chance just because you're playing another team for guys to get hurt than you playing your own team. In fact, this was something that was brought up in that article. In fact, what is important to note here. You have 22 of your own players on the field every time you take a snap in your own spring game rather than just having 11 players on the field at any one point if you're playing another team. So maybe there's less of a a percentage chance that it's one of your own guys that gets hurt, right? Then if you're playing yourself, there's a higher chance that it's going to be one of your own guys. That's a 100% chance if someone gets hurt, it's your own player. But if you're playing another team, well, then there's at least a 50% chance that it's the other team, right? And you just have to go into it with an understanding that, hey, this is a spring game, and I think most guys take that type of stance if they were going to this. I, people are going to have a hard time convincing me that, th- that this shouldn't happen. But now we're going to head to the phone lines. We've got Matt on the line with us now. Matt, how you doing today, my man? Good. How are you doing, Noah? We are doing great. What's on your mind? Hey, I would absolutely love to see Auburn play Arkansas or Vanderbilt or Georgia Tech for a spring game. I think that the biggest thing is coaches are trying to so if you, if you do that, you're, you're, having a, a, you're competing, right? So if you're competing then you want to win. But you want to see what you have in third, fourth stringers, freshmen, red shirts. You want to see what you have there. So if you're competing, there's, those opportunities are not really there for those players. Sure, and I think maybe the two teams would have to go into it with some type of understanding, maybe some type of gentleman's agreement. The coaches would have to communicate the rules of what was going on. Like We see this in basketball, though. Like There are closed-door scrimmages in basketball. Like, Auburn will go and play Georgia Tech or or Bama will go and play, you know, like Baylor's a bad example because I don't know if they'd play someone as good as Baylor, but they'll go and play some other major power conference team behind closed doors. Nobody gets to see it. The media doesn't get to see it. No, There's no television of it. There's no records of it anywhere, but, but they do happen. And they, uh, there's obviously agreements, obviously that go on between these two coaches that say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna get these guys in. Let, you know, this is just a scrimmage. Let's take it easy. You know, let's chill out." And I think the players, I think if you communicate that down to the players, it happens. I agree with you though on the injuries part. With like, if there's a competition, guys are gonna want to compete. So maybe they play a little bit harder rather than they're not playing their own guys. So maybe that contributes to injuries, or maybe it contributes to guys not getting on the field. I do think that there is some substance to that. I just. I still think we see it in basketball, though. I don't know why we can't do it in football. Yeah, all right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for joining again on the line with us. Once again, if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Matt, once again, thanks for calling in. We want to hear from you. Again, don't be a stranger. Call back in. Once again, number to call, 334-321-1390. Would you all like to see this be done in college football? Once again, I stand by this. I think people are going to have a hard time convincing me that this shouldn't occur. 
And Lance, the big thing that you, the big thing that you're on here that I'm like shocked by is that you said that it wouldn't provide any more interest for you. That's bewildering to not, me. Not for me because it's like on paper, it's like oh, I get to see Auburn play Arkansas in the spring, and it's like that's fun. But at, but at the same time, like we know how spring games go. It's like you're not going to get to see anything that's necessarily impressive. It's just something to hold you over uh, heading into the next season. I just don't see. You know, if Auburn played Arkansas, I don't see the excitement because I wouldn't be getting a real game experience. I just it would just be a different name on the other side of the uh, the football that I that would that would be playing Auburn, and I just that doesn't that doesn't excite me. Now I understand how it could excite somebody, but I just knowing how spring games go, I couldn't sit there and watch it and be more entertained than just a regular A day. That's just me though. That's Let just me my... pose this question then to you. Re- reworking this around making you look at this from a different angle we watch spring games to learn things right right and we do typically at least come out of spring with some type of impression of what the team looks like from a depth chart standpoint and a standing from some of these guys out there so we do at least get to see we do at least get to learn things from the spring game would it not provide you with more interest in other teams and what they're doing in the spring if there were to be Inter interteam scrimmages, you know, not 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 just Auburn versus Auburn, but would it provide you more interest in what's going on around college football during their spring practices more so than just what's going on in Auburn if you were to see other teams playing each other? So if you were saying like not just Auburn versus Arkansas, but if I was seeing like you don't care like, about Arkansas versus Arkansas, but you might care a little bit more if it was Arkansas versus Oklahoma State or Missouri against TCU or something like that. Give me Missouri Illinois. I want the battle for the arch in the spring, man. See, that's the thing. It's like okay, conceptually it sounds fun, but you're not playing for anything. You're not Fair. even playing for a real regular season. You're just. Y'all are just getting together. And so while it may seem fun on paper, the end result doesn't excite me because I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not I'm, I'm getting to see what these guys look like in a very bland vanilla offense without showing like what they're going to be doing in a real game. You at least get to see the two teams. I get though. to I get to see it, but how much how much exciting how exciting is that? How uh, how exciting is that compared to just a regular Missouri spring game? It's just to me, I just I would watch. I would watch both. I'm not saying I'm against the idea. I'm not saying I'm against getting to see more. You just don't see action. why it's worth it. I just don't see why it would be worth it. I think the reason that there are private scrimmages in college basketball, the reason that they're private, is whenever you go and play a different team, you don't want people to figure out what you're doing and how you want to run your stuff. So if they were going to do these scrimmages against different teams, they'd probably have to be private because no Auburn and Brian Harson, they don't want people figuring out even like the vanilla stuff of what they're doing. They want. They don't want tape on some of their freshmen and they don't want tape on their players and their tendencies before the season even starts so it'd just be a lot of like eh, i don't really want to show a lot so let's just i don't see the point in in having the event to begin with we wrap up the show here on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line on espn 106.7 and on fox sports central alabama Wrapping up on the line here on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Been a fun show today. Big thank you there to Matt for calling in. Once again, if you want to join in, you got a little bit of time left here in the show before the drive with Bill Cameron coming up at the top of the hour at 4. we got about six minutes left in the show before we wrap up the show here. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Get new episodes of your crime shows on CBS starting at 7 with NCIS and at 8 with FBI. Over on ABC, this seems like a crime. Pooch Perfect has a new episode with grooming teams faced with the challenge of transforming their dogs into a geometric shape. Movie selections for tonight, Shrek is on Freeform at 6 and at 8, Shrek goes head-to-head with Rumpelstiltskin and Shrek Forever After. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on FX at 6.30. There's a thriller on IFC at 6 with Shutter Island. Action movie with G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra on Sci-Fi at 8. Say goodbye to college basketball and live sports, but the NBA is still in full swing. Two games are on TNT tonight. Starting at 6.30, catch the 76ers and the Celtics. And at 9, the Bucks and the Warriors will battle it out to close the night. In the MLB, the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies meet for an early season divisional matchup with the game at 6.05 on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the show. We had a fun topic in that previous segment. Should college football teams ditch spring games and actually play real opponents? Should Auburn go and play at Georgia Tech, for example, in the spring? Keep it vanilla. Put your backups in. Don't get anybody hurt, but maybe it adds a little bit more excitement to it. Maybe it makes it a little bit more interesting for the players. I don't know. Interesting topic. We'll want to hear your thoughts on that 334-321-1390 i'm all for it lance is not so it made for a good discussion okay i'll say i'm not i'm not opposed, You're not opposed to it but i just, just don't, don't think it's see worth the it. benefits sure i understand that i guess of course i would be I, if, if if i saw oh auburn's playing georgia tech in a spring game it's like of course i'd watch i wouldn't Here turn it the off primary benefit fan interest exactly. i think more fans will get excited and will go to a game where you're playing another team it's another way to generate revenue as well. I mean, if you if you're if you're if now only one of these teams gets to generate that revenue, how do you decide? Do you start doing home and homes in the spring? Do you do neutral a neutral site? Yeah. How do you start? How do you maybe you share the revenue from the ball game? Right. I don't know. Well, if you were seeing like, oh, Auburn's playing Georgia Tech in a spring game, it's like if more people show up, it's generating more revenue, and it every everybody wins. It's like everybody wins. The fans get to enjoy themselves. The teams actually get to go out there and compete a little bit. Do you think it's something they've explored in the past? I think they they have to have right because because college basketball does it another big time college but they don't make it open to fans that's the difference here college basketball does it behind closed doors i think that's the reason why college football hasn't done it i think that has got to be the reason why is because you know if they were going to do it i think there are a lot of risks that come with it nfl teams do this they just make it behind closed doors in the preseason they play they scrimmage each other during the week nobody no no power five team wants wants other uh, another team to have pay or I'm sorry, tape. I don't know why I said paper. They don't want them to have tape on their their team. And I said this in the last segment, before the season even starts. I just don't... If I were a coach, I wouldn't want to do it. But if I were a fan, I'd be all for it. And I am a fan, so I I, I would be down for it. I just don't see the benefit. Yeah. Everybody ends up getting tape on everybody anyway. They do. It's just such an overblown excuse that football coaches use everybody's gonna get your tape anyway man it's, it's the Gus Malzahn thing everybody's like, gonna get your tape I don't want nobody to see what <laughs> anything that's going on uh, yeah I just everybody's gonna get your tape at the end of the day I mean that's honestly like maybe it would make it more fair if everybody you know did share tape like it went to everybody maybe you know I don't wouldn't, know wouldn't, maybe there wouldn't be so much parody in college football What's going on in the Atlanta Braves game right now? The 0-3 Atlanta Braves. They've got a lead, everybody. They've got a lead. The Washington Nationals, their season opener after dealing with a lot of COVID issues. They're 0-0 on the year, hosting the Braves, and they are down 4-2 in the bottom of the third inning. Nats are up to the plate. All four 
of the Braves' runs have come off of solo home runs. They figured it out, boys. They, they know how to swing. Ronald Nobody Ac- panic. Ronald Acuna Jr. already has two home runs. He opened up the ball game with a homer, and then in the third inning, when he got back up to the plate, he had another home run. So he's two for two today with two home runs. Freddie Freeman homered in the first, so the Braves got out to a 2-0 lead after the first. They've scored in every inning here. Once again, every run has came off of a solo home run. They got five hits so far this afternoon, four of which, once again, are solo home runs. The last player to homer for the Braves, Dansby Swanson, put it out to right field, 412 feet, according to the ESPN GameCast. It's 4-2 is the score, bottom three, one out. Drew Smiley got the start for the Braves, two and a third for him so far. He's given up two hits and two runs. For the Nationals, they scored two on a double from Jonathan Lucroy down in the bottom of that lineup. That, those two runs came in the bottom of the second inning. Max Scherzer got the start for the Nationals. And like I said, he, he's gotten blown up so far by the bats. Three innings so far he's faced. Uh, this Braves lineup and has given up, once again, four home runs. He struck out five, though. So you've got not, nine players in the order. Five five strikeouts, four four of homered. This, you is, know. this is a perfect testament to my philosophy in baseball. Whenever the bats are either getting hot, they're getting not. In the words of myself, and in the words of Soldier Boy, you either crank that Soldier Boy or it cranks you. You either hit home runs <laughs> or you strike out, and we're seeing that right now with the Braves. That's your baseball philosophy, I yeah. see. Crank it works for some cranked. teams. It works for some teams. Arkansas and the SEC, they like that. Maybe not the best average in the league, but they can hit the home run. LSU's in the same boat, leading the league in home runs towards the bottom half in batting average, and uh, they're one and eight and tied with Auburn in the bottom of the SEC. Auburn had their game against Kennesaw State postponed. They'll be back in action this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Got Mississippi State coming up. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's show and throughout the rest of the week. We've got our 8A depth chart series tomorrow as well, talking quarterbacks. You don't want to miss it. Lance and I will be back with you again tomorrow here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Following us here, you got The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. They'll be taking your call. Stay with us. Don't change it on your radio dial. We'll be back with you tomorrow. You know where to find us.